This is a Solitaire Media original podcast. Hello, welcome to the Galway podcast. This is Fender Jackson. I'm bringing to you the second part of a long conversation I had with Seamus Finneran. Seamus is a music promoter who's been based in Australia for his most of his professional life. He's about to bring Sharon Shannon to Australia for the 12th time and then he will retire from that game. So he says today, who's to know what lies ahead in the future. Also, I think I should mention Culture Night. Frank Fahey's Write On group is having an online event on YouTube. So if you go to Write On, that's W-R-I-T-E-O-N.ie, you'll find information there as to what's in store on YouTube. I interviewed Frank in the past. Uh, it's a very long and entertaining conversation. More emphasis on entertaining than long but it is rather long, so make sure you've got some time on your hands before you embark on that conversation. Okay, so let's go straight into that conversation with Seamus again. Enjoy. This is the Galway Podcast. So, um, how did you get involved with Sharon Shannon? Well, we discussed earlier that you met her through a tour, and but you've now you're now in a stage of you're booking her twelfth tour all yeah, for, that's of right, Australia. Yeah. So, do talk a little bit about that relationship and how it snowballed into twelve tours? Yeah, well, um, how I um, uh, ended up touring Sharon was I actually had been uh, touring uh, Seamus Begley and Jim Murray. Right. Uh, we did, I think we did about nine tours of Australia altogether with uh, that duo. They were fantastic gigs and fantastic tours. And um, Jim had uh, started playing with Sharon. And um, so somewhere in a conversation um, in a tour in Australia, I said, you know, Jim, I wouldn't mind touring Sharon. Uh, have a chat to, to Sharon's manager, John Dumford and Sharon and see. So we did a tour in um, in in. Uh, 2003 was the first one, I think. Um, I was uh, Sharon, Mary Shannon, uh, Pauline Scanlon and Jim Murray. So that was the, the first tour with Sharon. And that was that was a really good tour. We did the um, we did the folk festivals, but we also did the jazz club circuit. And that worked. And that was that was just such a great vibe. And of course, having John Dumford. Uh, as as the sound engineer, you know, it was just such fantastic sound and and and, and uh, such exciting concerts, you know. So yeah, and and then we did uh, a tour. Then uh, that was that was when it was in March, two thousand and three. And then we came back and we did a tour in uh, October, two thousand and four. So that's the springtime in Australia. Um, that was. A very good tour and uh, we went to New Zealand with that tour as well so we played you know um, Wellington and Christchurch and Dunedin um, Nelson a place called Taronga so we we, we uh, locked in with the arts festivals over there um, so this is a, another kind of path and journey uh, where you know I was presenting the the acts in um in jazz clubs 
Then I started to move towards the theatre and the arts festival, so like the Sydney Festival, Perth Festival. So, yeah, the international arts festivals. So the, the Australian equivalent of your Galway Festival and your Edinburgh Festival. So then I started to move into um, yeah, presenting and co co-producing or co-presenting with the arts festivals. Uh, which led me to the ones uh, that I mentioned there, the Sydney Festival, the um, Melbourne Festival, Tasmania Festival, Perth Festival, the New Zealand International Arts Festival, which is in Wellington. Yeah, so I've now moved into that circuit. And um, so it has opened up another world altogether. So as I said, this has been... uh, you know, we're about to do the 12th tour with Sharon, but I've covered all the festivals, the world music festivals, the the international arts festivals and and um, the the sideshows that we promoted in small theatres and jazz clubs ourselves along the way. But so that's been been really exciting uh, working with with Sharon and the crew. And there's been, you know, lots of different formats to the band over the years and uh, but all fantastic Fantastic performances and, you know, fantastic reaction from the audiences. Um, one of, I guess, the biggest project I ever did was a, a journey that, you know, I was on with uh, with Martin Hayes and, and uh, Dennis, you know, um, the late Dennis Cahill, the guitarist. It's sad that he's, he's um, departed from us, but um, I um, had brought Martin and Dennis to the Sydney Festival in uh, January 2007, uh, where they played in the the recital hall, the city recital hall in Sydney. Now, at the time, um, Fergus Lenehan, who's um, from Dublin, was the artistic director of um, the Sydney Festival. So I'd taken the idea to him uh, for doing Martin and Dennis. So we did the... um, Sydney Recital Hall. That was an amazing concert recorded by the ABC. And uh, that year, we also um, started the tour in Woodford, the Woodford Folk Festival. Uh, I promoted some concerts uh, in between, but the the final concert was at the Sydney Festival, which was the highlight of that tour. And that was a springboard uh, to uh, to, uh, some... some, uh, more ambitious ones was to end up in the Opera House with the Masters of Tradition in in, in January 2009. So I, I'd toured Martin and Dennis three years in a row. That was the 2007. Then we did the 2008, where we started at the Perth International Arts Festival, Martin Dennis. Then we did uh, Warm Adelaide. We did Port Ferry, Brunswick Music Festival, the Blue Mountains Music Festival, and then we went and we did a concert in the Opera House in a, in, in a smaller uh, venue, it's about a 500 capacity called the studio. And I had invited uh, Fergus Lenhan from Sydney Festival to that, to see Martin's performance again. And um, uh, he was impressed. But prior to that, I had um, went to uh, the Sydney Festival office for, for uh, I needed to go there for something. And uh, I was... Fergus had just walked in and uh, I thought, I'll just go and see if I can get a chat with him. And I walked into his office and I said, Fergus, have you got a minute? And he says, no, he says, I've got a media call in 15 minutes. I said, I've got an idea you might like. It's called the Masters of Tradition. 
And he looked at me and he said, would you like a cup of tea? <laughs> I says, yes. So I went in and I gave him the concept that I had discussed in my back courtyard in Sydney with Martin. He said, you know, he said, I've got this festival running every year down in Bantry. It's called the Masters of Tradition. And I said, I like, I, I like that. I like the name of that. Right? But he didn't tell me much more about it, only that that's what they were doing. And then I just took this idea to Fergus Linehan. And he went, let's do it. So we ended up in January 2009 doing two concerts at the concert hall in the Sydney Opera House, completely sold out. With a, the, a lineup that Martin had put together and then had um, curated the, the concert. So it was uh, Irla or Leonard, uh, Steve Cooney, um, Dave Power and Pipes, the Marching O'Connor trio, so Marching O'Connor, Cal Hayden, Jamie O'Dowd, and then, of course, Martin and Dennis. And um, it was just absolutely fantastic. So two nights sold out at the uh, Sydney Opera House. So that was the, kind of the highlight. And, I mean, you, you talk about big uh, productions and all the rest, and yet you're doing your famous here with Sharon uh, this year, is that correct? That's right, yeah. And you you mentioned an orchestra earlier to me off mic, so... Well, yeah. Is this going to be bigger than anything before, or is this just going to match? I'm just going to try it and see how it goes. So this this the reason why I say it's the final, yeah, it's the final Sharon tour of Australia and New Zealand, um, because I'm retiring from, from, from the touring um the touring game and uh, John Dunford, Sharon's manager, uh, is also retiring. He's not interested in doing the long hauls. He'll just do the um, the high profile gigs in Europe and Ireland and the UK and um, not bother with the, the long haul to Australia. So um, I'm just going to uh, see how far I can push this because uh, we can we can do it in three or four different formats. Um, you know, we, we can upscale the band to a big band by um by uh, um hiring um you know jazz um backers that i had before for the big band so a piano player a, a bass player and a, and a drummer um to sit in behind sharon's band which would be jim murray jack Meyer, and sharon and then john on on sound so yeah so we, we can make it into a big band or you know we can upscale it to an orchestra because a lot of Sharon's stuff is already scored for orchestra. So we'll we'll try that avenue and if it doesn't come off, well, it doesn't come off. Um, but we have the um, we have the material to do it. It's just to see if it's possible that we can actually do this. So we've got the big band and then we can scale that back down to a trio. So it depends on how the, the tour takes shape. You know, we can we, we can Upscale or we can downscale, mm. depending on the venue and the budget and how it. Uh, because when you set in, t when I set out to put together a tour, it's probably the same for every promoter. You have an idea, but you don't really know how, what the shape of this is going to be like at the end. But what I have, I've got this sort of inner sense feeling. You were asking me about something before. It, it was, it's just a kind of a, a knowledge. It's more of a feeling, right? of how, how this is actually going to work. And I remember saying to Martin Hayes once that I can actually visualize a tour happening and I can visualize the concert. So that's kind of the image I have in my head and I go out and I try and put a tour around that idea. Mm. 
Right. But, you know, when you start at a tour, it's all over the place. You know, you get interest from some place in Perth or some place in Queensland. You go, well, you know, logistically and time-wise, this isn't going to work. So then you're molding your tour into something that works what I was talking about earlier, logistically, starting in the West and ending up mm. in New Zealand and travelling in that same direction. Yeah. Yeah, so... It's funny that Formula One is just working that out now because they ping-pong all across the world and they've got maybe two sets of uh, equipment or four sets of equipment that they ship, you know, to different places. Uh, but they're now reducing their their fuel consumption by going from... In, in a linear direction. So, yeah. yeah. So have you worked with an orchestra before? Is this your first time? No, no, I haven't. Um, I, I have somebody uh, in in Sydney that's, um, that's talking to uh, the key people uh, to see if it's possible. And then um, John Dunford at this end uh, would be the, the person that's, um, if we needed to, to bring somebody with us uh, who would, would say a conductor that... Or producer that that works in with the orchestra because John has lots of experience in that with Sharon. So yeah, that's I don't need to have to. I have the key, uh, the key people um, um, to do that. And will you go on the road with him? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's the that's the fun part of putting together a tour. That then you go on the road and you see the fruits of all your work and you get all the excitement. And are you going to hit China? No, um, I was in China in um, in 2014 with Altan. So we did a tour in Australia and uh, and we took that tour to China where we played in Shanghai and Beijing. So that was the, uh, the Forbidden City Concert Hall in Beijing. And uh, the first one actually with Altan was in the... Um, the Theatre Academy in uh, in Shanghai. Then the second time with Sharon, we did the uh, the Forbidden City Concert Hall in Beijing and we did the Shanghai Grand Theatre, uh, which is a spectacular, beautiful, beautiful place. It's 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 actually similar to this to the uh, the concert hall in the in the um, Sydney Opera House. Same same seats actually I noticed in color red um, and, and, and blonde wood, you know, beautiful inside. So, yeah, um, no, we won't be going to China. It, it's, it's difficult to, to actually do tours in China from, from, from my, my perspective anyway, because uh, I'm not really, really a big promoter. And uh, there's, a lot of, um, there's a lot of work in, in, in uh, putting together a tour of China. Why is that? Because of the translation, because of the bureaucracy? Well, I was lucky in one way because, um, again, this was this was just an idea that I had, and um, about going to China, and um, I decided to explore it. But I did it through the uh, through the through the Irish embassy in Beijing and through the the Irish consulate in in um, in Shanghai, and I took my idea to the um, the consulate general in Sydney, and then. She put me in contact with uh, with Beijing and Shanghai, and we set it up from there. And um, I had Culture Ireland on board as well to um, to give funding for for the project uh, on both projects. So that's how I did it. I couldn't have done it without the the embassy and the consulate. 
And um, of course, they were excited about this project because they hadn't anything like this come to them before. So they had the opportunity to get, a, you know, Tourism Ireland involved and Board Bia and Enterprise Ireland and the IDA and all the all the different um, um, government uh, government bodies uh, to be involved in this. And of course, it uh, it was also a culturally significant. Um, it was a you know a culturally significant project uh, to have all of these people or bodies involved in this as well. Yeah, so it it was very successful. So they processed. Um, I think the main thing in China was the performance permit. You know, there's the visas, uh, which the embassy assisted me with that, and then I had to also do it uh, from my side to to get the visas for the artists to go t- to China. And also to get the um, the set lists, and to get um, the translations of the of the songs, uh, Altan songs from 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 um, Donegal Gaelic into English, and, oh. then, it, and then into uh, Chinese, and um, and then you know um, translations of the meanings of the tunes. And the same with Sharon, transma- translations of the meanings, the meaning of the tunes. And uh, also um, there was two songs, The Galway Girl and um, I forget what the other song was, but have those translated as well into Chinese. Um, but f- so I looked after the visas uh, with assistance from the embassy and the consulate, but the uh, embassy looked after the performance permits, which apparently is the, uh, the main thing that you need in China. So, so that, back back to the translation. So the lyrics have to be read by a government official who then rubber stamps the this song could be uh, performed in our country. Uh, I think they turned away "Honky exactly. Tonk Woman" by Rolling Stones, yeah, because it was a, right. bit, a bit too risque in some parts. Yeah. That's right. So actually, the Stones had been there when we were there with Sharon in in two thousand and sixteen. The Stones had been there before that. I'm not quite sure whether it was that year. We were there at the end of March. I'm not sure it was that year or was the year before the Stones had been there. But when I was there with Alton, I discovered that Bjork had been there. Mm. And in the middle of her concert, she said free Tibet or That's something right. like yeah. that. Yeah. And uh, apparently Dylan had to change the um, some of the words in his one of his songs before they got the it's all about the performance permit so uh did you get any songs uh turned away no no yeah i should say explain whenever we met i went up to you and i said oh roy and you're like what no roy no no Roy Orbison, no? <laughs> <laughs> so we, that's how we got chatting and I didn't know who you were and uh, yeah, um, I meant it as a compliment, obviously. My, I told you my father saw Roy Orbison in, uh, perform back in the 60s, which was great because um, they, you had to work for your brother back then as well. You know. I never met my grandfathers. They both had passed on before I was born. I've often wondered what they were like. How did they laugh? What about their mannerisms? What about their stories? So in 2006, before my children were born, I video interviewed my parents about their stories, their parents and their grandparents. What did they do? Where did they meet? Where's their final resting place? Some time elapsed, my children came along 
my mother passed on and I miss her but I still have a video of her telling me about her life story and now I interview other people's older relatives as a present for their loved ones. If you want me to capture your special memories, please go to saltalmedia.com for more information. Thank you. This is the Galway Podcast. I told you I lived in China for eight years and you explained about somebody trying to get into somewhere. But the Forbidden City. Yes. So tell us that story. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was an interesting uh, afternoon. So that was in Beijing and um, the Irish embassy had, um, they took us to lunch, um, Altan and myself and my wife Maureen and, uh, and, and um, the cultural attache from the embassy and, and the translator. So we were at lunch and um, Canis Mills was a sound engineer and uh, we were supposed to be at the, um, the, the, the forbidden City Concert Hall for the sound check. I think it might have been um, four o'clock was the time. But Canis uh, decided, um, and this is normal for sound engineers, so go to the venue earlier to make sure that things are set up. So we had a, a bus driver that was organized by the uh, by the embassy and all the instruments was in it. So Canis goes down, gets the bus driver, they head off to the Forbidden City, they get to the gate, the guy in the gate looks at his list and he sees that he's got a list with 11 people on it and now he's got a bus with a driver and just one person on it. So he goes, no. So there's a breakdown in communication between Canis and the bus driver because nobody can speak the same language and the bus driver unloads all the instruments of Altans out onto the footpath and just drives off. And he's calling me and he's going, this is what happened to me. So then I had to get on to the, um, the, the um, she, luckily she was, she was with us, um, the, the cultural attaché to the embassy who had to get on to the translator that was with us to try and phone somebody to get that bus driver wherever he was. He probably didn't have a mobile phone to come back and, and help us out of this situation that we were in. What we discovered as well, so, so the engineer had gone in and... Um, Eventually, with the instruments, got her, got that sorted. Um, but then we were all walking around, um, you know, uh, Tiananmen Square, you know, sightseeing and looking. And we said, OK, it's time for the sound check. Let's head in. But of course, we were all coming from uh, different uh, entry points to the Forbidden City. I don't know, are you familiar with the Yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. Well, trying to get into, we'll say, we'll say, look, we're the band, we're Altan. Um, we're, we're trying to get into the Forbidden City Concert Hall to do the sound check. It was virtually impossible, right? <laughs> so, we, so there was there was a uh, one of the ladies in the concert hall was coming out uh, to all these different points uh, to let us in. Wow. And at one point, she actually came out, and then she couldn't get back in herself. And oh. she's on the phone to say, "Can you go and get my pass and come out because I can't get back in?" So we finally got in to the sound check. Right. And um, but the concert was that concert was amazing. And the one in Shanghai was um, was in the uh, Shanghai Grand Theatre. So myself and John Dumford, uh, Sharon's engineer, we went down an hour earlier and, and the piano player, Alan Connor, just to see how things are going down there. So we go, 
Um, have you got a piano? Yeah, yeah, it's in the box here. So there was about 10 people on stage. And um, yeah, they'd take out the piano, the box. And they said, does it have a stand? Okay, get the stand. Um, does it have a pedal? Got a pedal. Okay, with that set up. Um, do you have microphones? So they go off and they bring the microphones. Uh, do you have microphone stands? They go off and they bring the microphone stands. And then they bring you something then and everybody stops and looks at you. And then, do you have leads? Oh, yeah, they go off and get the leads. So this went on for an hour. So, so nobody was taking the initiative to go, well, this bit goes with this bit and we'll bring all the bits together and we'll plug them in. Yeah. You know, it was... No, there's a very little joined up thinking. I, uh, I imagine living there for eight years, you know, it's, uh, yeah, a bit of a... A bit of an experience, I, I should say. Uh, oh my God, you're taking me back. <laughs> so it was actually this. I'm looking at my. I'm looking at the date today. I, this time last year, I was still there. I was. I was packing up and getting ready to come. And um, you know, I, uh, I had all my stuff in two five bags. I was taking five bags, and I was I was traveling with two small kids, and I was traveling. I flew from one city to another city. And uh, I got to the gate and then I gave them my tickets and uh, they looked at my passport and looked at the kids' passports. And the kids, long story short, the, we replaced the passports because uh, they were misplaced. But we didn't renew the visas. We thought it'd be okay because we're just leaving. You know, we were leaving in a hurry because of the situation with COVID. And they wouldn't let us out. And then um, he said, no, you can't go. Yeah, we're leaving. You know, it doesn't matter about the visa. And he said, no, it matters. And I had to fly all the way back to the other city I was in. Five bags, two kids. Oh. And it, I understand the frustration, you know, of, oh, it doesn't, the, the paperwork does not match up. I think they're afraid to make that call, you know, in case they get into trouble. And I can understand that. But it's hugely frustrating. Yeah. Exactly, exactly, yeah. But the concerts were absolutely fantastic. Mm. Right? But it, it is it is a bit frustrating. Even I noticed with the Sharon Shannon uh, band, you know, I had submitted the um, the set list and all that sort of and the, for for approval and and uh, you know the the performance permit. But actually, the the lady that was uh, kind of my interface um, uh, with me and the band and the translator, um, we were in the green room and, and the, the band wrote out the set list. So she's goes, oh, this is a different set list than what was. So she had to get a copy of the set list, you know, take it and see, did it match the original set list that was saying before we could actually perform? perform. So we're lucky actually that they started to write the set list, you know, a half an hour before. God. Otherwise the concert could have been held up. God. <laughs> so it's, it's so, an interesting, you know. Do, do you want to talk about um, Martin, Martin, touring with Martin for a bit? Yeah, 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 yeah. Pick up wherever you want. Oh, uh, well, I think I've mentioned a fair bit about the time that we did come out um, out, out from America in, uh, in 94 and then with Dennis in 96. We actually did a, a lot of tours. Um, so uh, 94, 96, then 97, then 2000, and then 2007, 2008, and 2009. And um, I had 
a little bit of involvement with the, the Opera House uh, for the uh, the Gloaming concert, and that was in 2013. Or actually, yeah, 2014, um, where they were at the, uh, the, the Melbourne International Arts Festival, and then there was a concert in the Opera House, which I assisted with the, the promoting of that. Um, Martin and Dennis, uh, the late Dennis, um, we had a great time on the road. I really enjoyed touring with those guys. Um, every concert was different. Every concert sound different. Um, even though they were played the same tunes, it was it was just different. And um, and it was just great being in in the audience, um, just experiencing that magic that was that was going on between them and and the. What was resonating out into the audience and and just looking at the audience and so um, I I did a lot of observing shall we say when I was on the road and Martin and Dennis were playing and um, I remember telling him I have lots of conversations with Martin and I remember saying you know do you ever watch the audience you know because I'm always watching the audience to see what's the audience are they enjoying it what's their response. Uh, I was watching the gig, you know, so I'm just holistically taking everything in, right? And I remember Martin said, he says, no, he says, I, I, I never notice the audience. I just get right into the, right into the music and, and um, in, into the performance. Um, so whereas I'm always watching the, the audience to see, you know, could, what's the response here? Could we make this gig bigger the next time? Or could we be in a bigger venue or... You know, is this venue the right one? Is it too small? Is it too big? You know, where can I see this happening the next time? You know, that was always, I was always kind of thinking of the next tour <laughs> at each gig, if you know what I mean. And, and, and what do you think of the reason is that Martin chooses this approach? Chooses his approach to? To, to not noticing the audience. Is that, is that to? Because he's immersed in the, in, in the music. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, the, the interplay between, um, the interplay between himself and Dennis and the improvisation of how they're actually doing that performance is is the thing, yeah. So that they're just completely one hundred percent like engrossed in that. And uh, we used to have a you know um, great crack on the road, as I say. You know, we were you know a lot of driving, you know, as as is the case in Australia. You know, you you can be driving you know an hour to a gig, or sometimes you'd be doing six seven hours in a car. Or, or in a van, depending on the size of the of of the the um the people, uh, or sorry, the size of the act, and um, so yeah, I would have long drives, and we'd just have great conversations and great fun, and you know, every tour, you know, it's uh, you're just uh, opening new, uh, you know, you're going to new territories, you know, you're you're just opening new avenues, you're going to new places, so everything is just revealing something new every day you know it's um so it was it was a great experience but i i did have you know i have to really thank martin hayes that uh you know if i didn't meet him um i wouldn't have had the opportunity to go all the way from from the uh the foot from the the footpath outside the uh, the plow and stars in san francisco to the uh the sydney opera house concert hall for for two nights with the the masters of tradition. So, yeah, um, I guess we helped each other along the way in a, in a, in a journey. Yeah, 
and so that experience also gave me the 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 inspiration um to be able to explore touring other acts and, and i have toured an awful lot of acts do you want to just run through a quick shopping list as to the acts that you've worked with Ooh, right um so i'll probably go at the start so i mentioned uh kieran halpin uh Jackie Daly and Maura O'Keefe, Lunasa on several occasions. Um, I actually did two gigs with Paul Brady. Now, that's an interesting one. I'll come back to that. Um, Martin and Dennis. um, Sugar Nifty from Scotland. um, Andy M. Stewart from Scotland with Jerry O'Byrne. Seamus Begley and Jim Murray nine times I think it was um Breaking Trad which is uh Donald Murphy Niall Murphy and uh, uh Mike Gavlin um I toured a group called the Rambling Boys uh, I think it was the only tour they did that was made up of uh, Sean Smith on fiddle um Dave Munnerly who's from Belmullet on accordion uh Alan Burke uh, on guitar and vocals, and Gino Lapari on uh, on Baron. Um, I toured Kipper Kelly, a Scottish group. Um, I put on concerts for um, Martin Carthy and Norma Watterson, uh, Dick Gockin, uh, a Scottish guy. There were some interesting concerts. Uh, Mary Coughlin, four times. Um, did, uh, Australia and New Zealand. Um, there was a group from New Orleans called um, Balfa du Jour. I did them for one tour. Um, so I kind of think of the other ones now, um, but they'll 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 come to mind. You <laughs> <laughs> didn't mention Sharon. Oh, Sharon! Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, we her so you mentioned Paul Brady. So come back to that. Paul Brady. That was that was another uh, um, mad mad idea. With um, that turned out to be absolutely fantastic. So there's a um, there's an artist in Australia called Paul Kelly. He's he's pretty famous, and Paul Kelly was touring. Um, apparently, he was touring in America, and he met Paul Brady, and Paul Kelly said to him. I'm doing a tour in Australia. Why don't you come out and you can be my opening act? Now, they were playing in a small club in Sydney. It was called the Lyric Theatre. It was probably about a 400, 500 capacity. And I went to the uh, the concert with the publicist, Gaynor Crawford. And what year was this, sorry? This was in November 2006, right? Sorry, this this was in November 1996. Sorry, I'm getting my dates all wrong. This was in November 1996. And it was just, you know, the year before I did the big thing with Lunasa. And um, so at the end of the gig, Paul Brady walked down to the end of the, the, end of the venue and I walked up and I said, Paul, would, would you be interested in doing a gig uh, with me? And, um, and... I gave him my number and I gave him the publicist number. And I said, look, I'll, you know, we don't have to we'll catch up on Monday. So this is Saturday night. So he says, well, okay, we'll catch up on Saturday, on Monday. So this is just a, a strange story. But um, 
So I said to him, uh, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll meet up. So he rang the publicist, right? And the publicist rang me and she said, Paul is interested in, in talking to you. So I said, okay, so we'll ring him at the hotel. And so I rang him and I said, you know, I'll, I'll come down and meet you. And um, I had checked the basement to see uh, what was on at the basement. And there was nothing on on the Sunday night. And I thought, this is Monday. There's nothing on on the Sunday night. So maybe we could do something at the basement. So I went down and away, met Paul, had a chat to him, got a taxi into the basement, um, just walked in the door. The owner of the basement uh, was there. There's one of the owners, was two owners, Bruce Viles was one of the owners. The other guy was a guy called, um, um, uh, um, what was his name? Um, Chris Richards. So, um, Went down anyway, and um, Paul and I walked into the, the venue. There was nobody there. And Paul said, he says, can you just leave me alone? I just want to get the vibe of this place. So I walked over to the other side, which is kind of the, the green room and the pool room where all the kind of artists and agents used to hang out, right? It was kind of a meeting place. And um, Bruce was there, and he says to me, did you see who walked in? And I says, no. He says, Paul Brady, just after walking in there. I go, Really? I said, do you know how he got here? And he said, no. I said, I brought him. He says, no, you didn't. So anyway, um, Paul then uh, came out and myself and Bruce went in and we had a look around and he says, I'll do the gig on Sunday. So he says, fantastic. So off we went. And on the way back in the taxi, my phone rang and it was the other uh, co-owner, Chris Richards. He says, Seamus, he says, the reason why there's nothing on in the basement on Sunday night, he says, there's a private function at... Um, at nine o'clock, there's a wedding party. I go, oh, really? So um, he says, look, look, leave it with me. So about 10 minutes later, he called me back and he says, I got some good news for you. He says, the wedding party, the guy um, is getting married. He's a, he's, a, he's a jazz sax player and he's a big fan of Paul Brady. So he says, what we we'll think we'll do is if this will work for you. He said, we'll put the gig on at six o'clock on Sunday, but we will have to clear the house by 8.30 because the wedding party will be arriving at nine o'clock. So he said, if we can fit into that time frame, we'll, let's do it, right? And um, so he said, well, what we'll do is we'll open the doors at five o'clock, on stage at six, off stage at eight, we'll clear the house by 8.30. How does that work? I said, that sounds very, very good. So I had, you know, six days to get this together. Now, on the Sunday night, uh, Crowded House were doing their final, final concert on the steps of the Opera House at the exact same time, right? Their concert was starting at six o'clock and was running to eight or nine or whatever, right? I didn't, I, you know, well, I didn't know this, right? And... Um, so anyway, I got onto the publicist and I said, we're going to do this. We're going to do this concert. So the first thing I did was I went to my printing and I got poll posters, poll poster run in Sydney. And we got an interview uh, with um, a, 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 a famous reviewer called uh, Bruce Elders. He reviewed for the Sydney Morning Herald. We got an interview with Bruce Elder. 
we got an interview with the ABC and we got an interview with Bruce Elder on a radio station. And by Friday evening, the basement was sold out. And it was absolutely mobbed. I never will forget it. And if you're ever talking to Paul Brady, he will never forget this concert. So the doors open at five. Paul Brady's on stage at six. There's just Paul Brady, a grand piano, uh, Paul on his guitar and he's whistling the grand piano. The basement is absolutely wedged. The doors are open out onto two laneways. One, one lane, um, Bulletin Place is one laneway, an old, an old part of Circular Quay. The other one is Ryby Place. The doors are open and there's a crowd of people outside. There's the concert down at the Opera House, Crowded House. We have put a sign up on the door which says, the house is crowded. If you're looking for music, go to the Opera House. Right? <laughs> so it was an absolutely fantastic performance by Paul. And the whole basement is singing along with his songs. And at the very end of the, the concert, when it was all over, when he went backstage, I, I went up and backstage and he was hugging me. He was in tears. He said it was the, mo the most emotional concert that he has ever done. He said it was a concert that nobody had told him how to play. Nobody had told him how to do. He just did whatever he felt like doing. He had an audience that was wrapped around him that knew all these songs and were singing along with him. He said it was just the most amazing vibe. And he was just in tears. Now, a bit of some statistics. The, um, the, the basement told me, you know, they opened the doors at five. The basement told me that the most amount of alcohol they ever sold was between five o'clock and six for the Paul Brady concert. And the other statistic that somebody who was standing by the sound engineer told me that nobody went to the loo during the concert. Wow. <laughs> so that's how intense this was. And so, yeah. So and, and that was just another, you know, um, kind of the, random idea that I had. <laughs> another day at the office. <laughs> yeah. Tell me, did the groom not get involved? I, I, did, I, sorry, did the what? The groom, the sax player. I would have been. No, no, no. So what happened was, so they, you know, they had an evening wedding. So they weren't arriving at the venue until, you know, an hour after the concert was over and everything was cleared out. So we didn't get to meet the groom with the sax. I mean, he would have been, you know, heavily involved in his in his wedding and his wedding party anyway. And we had to be, they had to clear the house. So we had to be out of there to let this wedding party in, even though at the end of the concert at eight o'clock, everybody just wanted to continue celebrating this amazing concert. I think so. he missed the trick. He should have said, you can have the venue as long as I get to play sax solo for one of Paul's songs. I know, yeah, 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 yeah yes. But... So we left the um, we left the, um, the the basement and we went back to um, the Siebel Hotel in Kings Cross, which was a famous hotel where all the touring musicians used to stay in. Siebel Hotel is no longer there; it was demolished and a block of apartments built. So we arrived back at the Siebel Hotel at the exact same time as Crowded House were coming back in. <laughs> so uh, Neil. Neil Finn and um, and Paul Brady met in the foyer and had a great chat and you know they, and we all went off and had lots of drinks so that was. Uh, you didn't get out the guitars or jam or anything. No, yeah. no, no, no. 
I'm aware of the time, and uh, this has been fantastic. I've, I, I don't know if you can sense my enthusiasm yeah, yeah. for this conversation <laughs> and going down all the various rabbit holes that I've taken yeah. you down, but I've really enjoyed it. Uh, but I, I feel I need to let you go soon. So you mentioned there about lunacy being, I, I got two more questions. So you mentioned there about lunacy being one of the highlights of your career that whole um, time. You said one-off. I'm interested to hear some more of your highlights of your career for you. Um, after the Paul Brady as well. After yeah. the Paul Brady. Well, another kind of similar one uh, to Paul Brady was Mary Coughlin. Uh, Mary had never been to Australia. And um, she was going to Christchurch for the Christchurch International Jazz Festival. And um, she was going there with James Delaney, um, piano player, um, who lives in Dublin, and uh, and James plays with, um, well, uh, Four Men and a Dog. I think he had played with uh, Clannad and played a lot in Sharon, Sharon's big band here in Ireland and various other ones as well. So James was the piano player and um, I had just finished the, um, the t- 2003 tour with Sharon and... Um, after Sharon went back, Mary had asked Sharon and John Dumford, um, who were they working with in Australia? So they said, work with me. So Mary called me a random phone call. What do you think of this? And I said, OK, let's do it. So I had put Mary on in the basement again, a Thursday. Um, so Thursday and then the following Thursday. So the, the tour was for a week and um it was it was completely sold out the Thursday, and uh, and we recorded the concert. Um, back then, uh, ABC t- TV were doing a a series called Live at the Basement, um, and uh, then you know the, it used to be on on a Tuesday night at you know around ten o'clock, and um, so they used to record a lot of high profile acts. So the um, basement. Um, also um, had done a, um, a deal with um, a local um, internet provider. They're called Big Pond. And Big Pond were looking at streaming um, concerts from the basement. So the, there was two things at play here. There was that the ABC were interested in recording a live at the basement. So I said, yeah, go ahead and do that. And Big Pond were interested in streaming um, because there was a recording studio in the building down the road from the basement and it was all sort of cabled in uh, to be able to do this. And one of the things I discovered uh, on this tour that Big Pond were actually um, marketing or or publicizing this concert. So when you went on to the Big Pond website and all that, you got a little advert to say that Mary Cockton was performing and it was going to be streamed. And then there was a, 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 a computer article in the Sydney Morning Herald that said, this is happening. So this sold out the gig, right? And so we recorded and and, and then uh, we went off then and we did all the other jazz clubs uh, in Newcastle and Canberra and Melbourne and the Blue Mountains. And then we came back the following Thursday for another sold out gig at the basement. We also recorded that. So that was that was a very exciting uh, uh, project, um, working with James and uh, and Mary. Something that just happened, and 
you know, it was a bit like the Paul Brady when everybody turned up for the gig, you know. So that was that was a very exciting time. And um, catching the wave. Yeah, exactly. And then you know that ended up uh, doing um, four four tours at Mary, and um, so yeah, so that was uh, the highlight. Do you have another one you want to share? I guess another one was Monday, right? Um, I toured Monday in 2017, um, where I hired a complete band in Australia. So that was a, um, um, a drummer, a bass player, and uh, a Clara Mara, who plays in lots of different genres from jazz to country. Uh, she plays um, fiddle and piano accordion. So uh, that tour, uh, Monday came out, uh, stayed with me. Then we flew down to Melbourne, met up with the band, and I had booked a rehearsal studio for uh, six hours. And two hours later, they come out and says, we want to go to the cafe or the cafe. And they're going back for the rehearsal. And they go, no, no, it's done. It's all over. Right. And we went on the road and it was that was very, very exciting. And um, we started at the Port Ferry Folk Festival. And um, then we did all the, the venues, the, the usual uh, venues that are um, on the international touring circuit for, uh, you know, jazz musicians and, 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 uh, and contemporary um, musicians of lots of genres. And um, yeah, so that was another highlight. That was a very, very exciting tour. I know that you're going to be walking down the street later on. You're going to think, oh, I should have mentioned this. I should have mentioned yeah, yeah, that because right. your, your life is just, uh, it's a who's who of, of Irish music and um, folk music. And it's, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure to, to have been part of this conversation with you. Yeah. Um, I just remember another tour oh, okay. as well. <laughs> uh, that was uh, Paddy Keenan and Sean Turrell. That was, that was, uh, that was another great tour. Yeah. Mm. Because Sean, Sean is no longer with us. He's passed away. As why well. was it so good? Um, why was it so good? Um, you see, I, I find uh, what makes it good is the people that the musicians that you're working with, mm. the trips on the road, mm. and and then at the end of the road is the gig. Mm. You know, and, and you know, yeah, you, you have a there's the excitement of the gig. And then there's a celebration afterwards. And then there's the big, long journey back on the road again, you know, and then the stories on the road. And then you're going to a new audience. You don't know, you don't know what you're going to get when you turn up. And, you know, it's just, it's just that, you know, you're always going into the unknown and then it reveals itself. It reminds me of, I, I read an interview with Tom Hanks recently and they were asking him about his favorite movies. And you would have thought it would have been... To see with Private Ryan's The Forest Comes, and it wasn't. It was the lesser known movies, and the reasons why they dug into it, and the reasons were because of the crack that he was having offset. So it, it's similar. It seems that you know the best tours for you are the conversations, the crack, and so on. And then, as they say, the you know gigs got to be good too. Yeah, so it's it's nice that parallel. It's the yeah. humanity, the the shared experiences that we all all need yeah. and have. Another actually highlight um, and another random thing was Susan O'Neill. Susan is from Ennis. Um, I don't know if you know Susan O'Neill. She's been doing a lot of touring at the moment with, um, with Mick Flannery. Um, Susan was a, a, another interesting one. 
um, because Sharon had met her at the uh, the Gore Theatre in uh, Innes, where Susan was doing support. And John Dumford called me and he says, Susan O'Neill uh, could be interested, uh, could be interesting to her. So I said, you know, John, all I need is I need an image, I need music and I need a bio and then I can put a tour together. And um, Susan flew to the other end of the world to somebody that she had never met before. I picked her up at the airport. She stayed with us in Sydney. Uh, my wife, Maureen, had gone back home to, um, to County Down. And um, Susan and I went on the road. And I meant to mention this to you when you were around at my apartment earlier about uh, you were talking about uh, embracing and hugging um, Jerry, um, Mulholland's Jerry Mulholland's twin, yeah. twin sister and how emotional you were. And uh, I was just thinking about emotional moments in my life lately. I actually was in tears at Susan O'Neill's sound checks. That's how much emotion I was experiencing coming out of her. And one um, thing that I experienced and noticed, we did a big corporate gig in the International Convention Centre in Sydney. It was for a, an Irish um, organisation called the Lansdowne Club, which is a network of business people. And they do a thing called the St. Patrick's Day lunch where this 1,800 people turn up at tables and the speeches and all that, right? But they always book an Irish act. And in this on this occasion, I was touring Susan O'Neill. So Susan was doing her um, her sound check and she was doing um, um, the Sally Gardens and um, Raglan Road. She was just doing bits of those songs and she was also playing the whistle and she plays trumpet. So she was playing all these bits of things and she was looping things while um, the sound engineer was getting the sound right. And I could just feel the emotion of her voice and the music. But I looked around and I saw the organiser and she was in tears. And then I looked at the waitresses and they were just stunned. Right. And this is in an empty venue and I'm looking at the staff and they're almost in tears. It was just stunning. And this is the sound check. Mm. Obviously, uh, the gigs were... Uh, Quite powerful also. Uh. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. So that was somebody that came to the other end of the world and we went on the road and um, made a success of it. And then uh, Susan came back in the following year with Sharon. She was the opening act for Sharon's and then she joined the Sharon band on trumpet. And then at the end of the tour, which finished at Womad New Zealand, I brought Susan back to Australia and uh, we did a, a three-week tour. The two of us on the road as a Sharon solo, or sorry, Susan solo, with guitar, trumpet, and and a loop pedal. Mm. Yeah, amazing. Another great, great tour. My final question to you. Yep. What What are you doing in Galway? So I lived in Galway from nineteen seventy two until nineteen eighty one, um, and you know when I was in the Merchant Navy, I used to always come back and you know, um, spend my my uh, my time in Galway before I go back to sea again. And every time I came back from Australia uh, to Ireland on holidays, I always came to Galway. And when I was living in Dublin, I'd always come down to Galway for the weekends. So, as I said, we've been living in Australia. I've been living in Australia for 39 years, a bit like you. We moved back this time last year. 
Galway was always on my horizon. Um, we had sort of checked out Dublin. Uh, we thought about Belfast. Then we came down, we stayed in Kinvara for uh, a good few days. Then we came in and stayed in, in Churis, um for a few days and while we were looking to rent a place and then we looked to buy a place. So why Galway? Um, it's kind of my spiritual home. I do like the music scene in Galway. I do like the arts scene in Galway. There is just so much going on here all the time. Like every month there is a different festival of some kind. If it's not a cartoon festival, it's a writer's festival, it's a film festival, it's the Galway um, Arts Festival. The list goes on. There's Tradfest. Oyster Festival. Oyster Festival. um, You know, the, the list goes on. And the other thing is that uh, Galway is just the right size. It's not too big. You know, at the moment we're living in Salt Hill and everything is so accessible. You can walk into the city. You got the West End, you got the Latin Quarter and there's always great music happening and there's always great stuff to go and see either at Leisureland or at the um, at the Town Hall or the Black Box Theatre or Munro's or the Russian Dove. There is just so much happening all the time. Um, that's accessible to you. Uh, so you don't have to drive anywhere. You can walk to it. And also, it, it is striking distance to Clare, um, Connemara, um, Westport, Mayo, um, Sligo, um, Shannon, Knock, um, Roscommon, where my, my family where my family is. Um, so, yeah, so it, and it's a beautiful city and it's a beautiful place. So strategically, it's a, it, it's, it's a great spot to be in. That's why we're here. Perfect. Well. Seamus Finner and Goramina Mayogut. Tough alterat. Thank you. All right, great. This has been a Salt Hill Media original podcast and production.